out your Bible to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. We're in the last chapter. We start the turn into the last chapter of walking through this book of John. And I am uh, just been so uh, enriched by hearing John write to us of the good news. And I'm kind of, uh, it's kind of always, it tickles me. Uh, when the when the Lord uh, 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 does something that he that he doesn't have to do, and and what I mean by that is the Lord is good to us, and the Lord is is uh, is is wonderful, and and there are times where some little things happen, and you say, well. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for, for being good, for, for that little sprinkle of goodness that I wasn't expecting. I, I've been planning and walking through 1 John. We, we kind of plan out the preaching for almost a, a year in advance. And so today we come to 1 John chapter 5. And if you'll look in your Bible real quickly, I'll kind of give you the end of the story. Verse 4 tells us about overcoming the world. Now, when we laid out this preaching idea over a year ago, I had no idea that chapter 5, verse 4, would land on this day, this week, when we need to hear it most of all. Isn't the Lord good? I mean, it's good for us to hear that we will overcome the world. Now, we're in the middle of football season, and football season works this way. The game is played on the weekend, maybe Friday for high school or Saturday for college or, or through the weekend for the professional teams. And as soon as the game ends, the coaches will begin preparing for the next game. They will watch film and they will study and they will scheme and plan and, and come up with a game plan they think will work to beat the next team. Then they will practice all week. They will try to execute the game plan in simulation of practice. And then they'll ask the coach before the game, coach, how you feeling about the game? And the coach will say something like this, because they all give the same answers every week, but we all tune in to hear it. But he'll say something like this. Our coaches have worked really hard. I real feel really good about our game plan. Our players have been extra focused this week. They've, they've worked hard. I, I think we have a chance. Now that's a lot of work for a chance, isn't it? That's a lot of work for, for a, a, a maybe a win. But we know in, in, in sports, particularly in football, we don't actually know who will win until the game is over. There can be bad calls by the ref. There can be turnovers where the other team gets the ball. There can be injured players. There can be weather delays that messes up the mojo of the game. There's a, a lot of factors that go into finishing the game, but they do a lot of work for chance, for an outcome they're not sure about. Now, this is all a part of our life. You will put all the ingredients into a bowl. You will stir them. You will put them into the oven. But until the cake is out, until the family has tasted it, you're not exactly sure if it turned out right. Which, by the way, if you're ever wondering, call me. I'll come by and taste it for you. Right? You're not sure. You said when you were married, till death do us part in sickness and in health. But you had no idea what that meant until many years passed. You're not sure of the weight of those words. Much of our life is really unsure, uncertain. You will get in the car today and you will drive home and there may be somebody that decides to bump you in the bumper and ruin the rest of your Sunday figuring out what's wrong with your car. You're not sure. Now, much of our life is unsure. But brothers and sisters, I'm thankful 
that of all the things that are uncertain, particularly even in this week when who will lead our country in the next year is uncertain. I'm thankful this week when there is much of uncertainty in our day-to-day life, the one thing we can be sure of, the one thing that's the most important, more important than the end of the football game or who will serve in the White House or if the cake turns out, more important than any of those things will be simply this, where will I spend eternity? What will happen when I die? What will happen when the Lord returns and I see him face to face? How can I be sure? Because listen, I may cross my fingers and hope the birthday cake comes out, but I don't want to cross my fingers and hope I make it into heaven on the other side. That's not something I want to play with. That's not something I want to roll the dice on. I want to be sure about overcoming the fallenness of this world and being rescued into the arms of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I am so thankful that through the Lord's word, we can know for sure. We can know that we will have, and I simply put it to you this way, victory in Jesus. We can have victory in Jesus. Most of you are singing the hymn in your head right now, right? We can have victory in Jesus. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, literally, John tells the church, here's how you can know you will be victorious. Here's how you can know you will win. Here's how you can know you don't have to leave it up to chance or fate or crossing your fingers. Here's how you can know for sure you will have victory. Look with me at 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, Lord, I am so thankful and I rejoice that in your sovereignty and in your goodness, you saw many months ago that we would be walking through 1 John, that we would go verse by verse through this wonderful letter. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you planned it to where chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, would hit today on this week of all weeks. Lord, we need this word from you today. We need to hear your scripture today. We need to be reminded that no matter what may be happening around us, victory is sure in Jesus. That overcoming this world is a sure thing. It is a certainty in Jesus. Father, today we we need our eyes lifted, our hearts stirred. We need to be reminded that we have victory, that we are winning, that we will win, that it is done, that it is finished, that there'll be no more recounts on our salvation, that it is a sure and constant and permanent blessing from you. Father, I thank you this morning that we are about to walk through a passage of Scripture and we can leave here with smiles on our face with a spring in our step, knowing whatever the world may throw at us, we will be victorious in Jesus. 
Oh God, what hope that gives us for today. What hope that gives us to face tomorrow. Though we know there is much we will face that we don't understand and and we're not sure what to do. We're thankful, Lord, that we can face it knowing we've already won in Christ. Lord, I pray if there be one here that feels beat down, they feel overwhelmed, they feel broken. Lord, remind the believer again today. Remind your children today that they are victorious. Lord, if there be one here that's not sure about being victorious at the end, that they honestly are not sure that if they draw their last breath or if they stand before you, in fact, they're kind of hoping it works out. They're kind of hoping that that fate will do them well. They're kind of hoping that their moral behavior and their church attendance and and their tithing, that, that you'll just smile at them and let them in. Father, I pray today they will hear. They will be convicted by your spirit that the only one who sees God, the only one that has victory, is the one who is born of God. There must be a spiritual transformation. God, I pray today you'd help me explain that clearly. and That any who may need to hear it would hear it and believe it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John is giving us this victory. Now you've got to remember just the setting of where we are. He is writing to a church that's been fragile. They've been broken. They've had false teachers come in, lead them astray, and then the false teachers left. And so they they find themselves in a very weak place. And he's been writing all through the book about how they can be sure of their faith and they can be sure who real Christians are. And they don't have to fear those smart, silver-tongued teachers that come in because they, they have the gospel, they have the spirit. And so he's been encouraging them. He's been building them up. And now he's kind of getting ready to finish his letter and he will finish his letter with promises. He will finish his letter with encouragement. He will finish his letter by looking at this fragile church and saying, stay the course. Don't give up the faith. Don't get lost in the muck of this world. Don't let your eyes discourage you by what you see. Don't let your heart fall by what's going on around you. Keep your head up. You are going to win. You are going to be victorious. The game, as you would say, is rigged. The victory is in for those who are in the Lord Jesus. And so in this, we find these truths about the victory. So I want to give you three truths about victory in Jesus this morning. Truth number one, we see the path to victory. How can we have this victory? How can we have this victory? Look with me at verse 1 and verse 5. He bookends his thoughts here. In verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. Now look down at verse 5. He says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so he tells us now, here is the key, here's the secret to overcoming the world. The secret, according to verse 1 and and according to verse 5, is to believe in Jesus and be born of God. Now what does he mean by being born of God? What does this terminology mean for us? Well, We will hear the words of Jesus when he speaks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He will write these words in John 3 verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered Nicodemus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. I want you to do a favor for me, a little spiritual and, and, and um, physical uh, um, uh, test this morning. I want you to take your right hand, take your right hand. If you don't know which one your right hand is, look at your neighbor, take your right hand, reach over to your left bicep, reach over to, some of you are not doing this and God sees you, all right? I want you to pinch your right bicep, just pinch it a little bit. Did you feel that? Raise your hand if you felt that, you felt that. All right, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. You've been physically born. You are alive, all right? You are alive physically. Some of you had to wake up your spouse to pinch themselves. They're alive too, I promise. You are physically alive. You've been born. You have a birthday. My birthday, January the 25th, 1982. Addie Horton's birthday is today. Oh, she's going to children's church. Isn't that sweet? I worked it in. She's not even here. All right, so you have a birthday. You have a birthday. But here's the question that John is asking. Here's the question that the apostle is writing to the church. You have a physical birthday. Do you have a spiritual birthday? Do you have a day where you've been born of God? You've been born outside of yourself. Do you have a time, a moment, a place where God enacted on you his work? And here's what it means to be born again. It means that God spiritually, transformationally does a work on you and through you and miraculously changes your sinful state as a dead, separated sinner into a forgiven, righteous son. Son of God. He changes you. He works in a magical and mystical and wonderful way. He moves on your behalf in order to bring in you what you could not bring. The prophets of the Old Testament would describe it this way. In Ezekiel 36, God replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh that beats for him. It is a supernatural work of God for us to be born again, to be transformed by the Lord the theologians would use the word regeneration, the idea to be brought from dead to life, to be changed over. It is this idea that we must come into the Lord's kingdom. But the question is, how does this happen? How does the spiritual work of God take place in our life? What must we do? What is our part to play? How do we get God to do that for us? God, I want to be born again. I want my heart changed. I want to know I'm victorious. Lord, what must I do? Look with me at verses 1 and 5 again. In verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Then verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? He's asking this rhetorical question. He answers it, except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's how one is born again. They believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus is the Christ, according to verse 1. The word Christ there is the Old Testament word of Messiah. They believe that Jesus is the Savior. They believe that He is the one who came to rescue sinners. He is the one who brought the work of God to change our hearts to earth. He is the one that came as the prophecies fulfilled in order to deliver us from the bondage of sin and rescue us from death. The way in which one is born again is to come to Jesus. But this is not intellectual ascent. You don't just come to think about Jesus. You don't just come to talk about Jesus. You don't just come to bring up his name from time to time. To believe in Jesus is to come to the end of yourself. It is to, to glare, I have nowhere else to turn. I have nowhere else to look. I will not find my salvation in anyone or any place other than Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you say you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe all of it. You believe every part of the story of Jesus. You believe that he is the promised prophet from 
from the Old Testament, that he is the king that will come and reign, that he is the priest that will bring us into the presence of God. You believe that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life. You believe that he died on the cross, bearing our sin, taking our shame, feeling the wrath of God poured out on sin in your place and in mine. You believe that he really did die, as Peter would say, yes, death, even death on a cross. You believe that he really was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. You believe they really rolled the stone shut. You believe that after three days the earth shaked and the curtain split and the stone rolled open and you believe that he says why are you looking for the living among the dead for he is alive. You believe that he is in heaven even now reigning and ruling and that one day he will return again. Brothers and sisters to be born again is to believe in Jesus. Cast all of your hope in Jesus. To look nowhere else but Jesus. To know that the only place to find salvation and rescuing is Jesus. And and notice what he tells us. Look at verse 5. Everyone who, brothers and sisters, hear me now. Whether you're in the room or watching online, listen to me now. He doesn't say this is a collective conversation. This is a personal conversation. Everyone. Everyone who confesses, have you admitted that the Lord Jesus is the Savior? Have you admitted that you need salvation? Have you come to the conclusion and confessed that he is God in the flesh, the only hope for mankind? Have you given him your sins laid on the shoulder? Have you received his righteousness? Brothers and sisters, hear me now. Have you been born again? You will not get to heaven because your mother was born again or your grandmother was born again. You will not get to heaven because you found a spot on a pew week after week after week. You will not get to heaven because you were sprinkled or baptized. You will not get to heaven because you tithed or took the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters, you will overcome the world because you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again. The supernatural work of God will take place in your heart and you will be born Again, you will be changed, Jesus would say in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You must believe in Jesus. But I want to notice something with you this morning because I know predominantly I'm preaching to the choir. I am in a room full of brothers and sisters in Christ. I am in a room full of children of God. I I realize that. I know that. But it, it never hurts for us to be reminded of what Jesus has done. But I want you to see how being born again is is a sure thing and an ongoing thing. I I want you to see how John writes this for the church, for the believers. Look at verse one. Everyone who believes, you see that? That's present tense. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. Now that's past tense. Now notice what John is doing. He's he's playing with words and time. He says now, if you have been born of God, past event, you've been identified with Christ, you've had a spiritual birthday, you, you know you've come to the Lord Jesus, you will know this by how you continue to believe. You will continue to look to Jesus as your salvation. You will continue to have the assurance of your salvation, not just solely based on a date in the past where you prayed a prayer, but in an ongoing relationship of walking with the Jesus who saved you. Brothers and sisters, I've told you my testimony on thousands of occasions. I was saved at nine years old in Randolph, Alabama at Shady Grove Baptist Church. But I know I am saved not just because of what happened at nine years old, but because even now at 39 years old, I'm walking with the Lord Jesus. 
that Jesus has secured me and saved me and walks with me. I don't have to put all my eggs in the basket of remembering what happened at nine. I can't remember what happened last week, but I can put my eggs in the basket that Jesus has saved me and still is saving me and will deliver me. The great Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers put it this way. He said, the assurance of my salvation comes not from the fact that I did trust Christ, but that I am trusting Christ for my salvation. It is an ongoing thing. The path to victory is trusting in Christ. It's believing in the Lord Jesus. It is holding to the promises of God. Now I want you to see something because you say, okay, Brother Corey, I, I believe you. I know that. I'm there. But I want you to see a second truth from the text, and that's simply this. We can have proof that we have been given victory. We can have proof now, you remember my analogy at the start of the sermon that the football coach really doesn't know what's going to happen until the game ends. They're really not going to know until it's played, until the whistle is blown. It's, there, there's some uncertainty. The game's got to be played, right? We don't play football on paper, they say. You got to play it to know. But we can know now. We can know that we have victory now. We can, we can know in our own personal life that we've been guaranteed victory over this world. There are proofs to the victory. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Let me show you what John tells us. In verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now notice how he turns the conversation here. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now John will give us uh, this idea of being born again. He will say, okay, you say you're born again. You're born again by believing and confessing and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say that's true in your life. Well, here's where the proof is. Here's where we will know if it's true. Here's where we will see if victory has really come to your soul and to your heart. It will be seen in the way you love the people of God. It will be seen in the way you share in the family of God. It will be seen in the way you commit to the wonderful congregation of the family of God. Look with me at his text. Let me show you. His argument is simple, that if you love the Lord Jesus and you've been born again, you will love Jesus's family. You will love the siblings that are a part of the congregation. He says in verse 1, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that the children of God, when we love and obey his commandments. Now, you see that verse 2? It's literally, you, you'll remember this word from John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only or begotten son. We, we, we hear that word begotten. The word here is the same word. He's literally saying, if you love the Father, then you will love the other begotten since you've been begotten, right? That's good English right there. You should write that down. You will love the others in the family. You will love the siblings of God. If you love the Father, you will love who the Father loves. It will be evident in your life. You want to know if you've been born again? Do you love the body of Christ? Do you care for the people of God? Do you realize you've been woven and, and brought into, into the tapestry of this eternal family that reaches back to the very beginning of creation and will extend all the way into eternity the very people of God? Do you love the church? Do you love those who are around you? John will not separate this command. Listen now, don't miss this. You cannot claim to love God and hate God's family. 
You cannot claim to love God and be indifferent to the people of God. You cannot separate the commands. Our Lord would not separate them. When asked what are the greatest commandment is, Jesus didn't give one but two. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, we find it summed up this way. Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. There's the gospel. Love the Lord Jesus. But notice exactly what he says after that. And the second is like this. And you recall in the story, they didn't ask for number two, but Jesus gave it to them. Jesus made sure they know that they go together. They are the same, the two sides of the same coin. And it's simply this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Nothing greater than loving the Lord and loving the Lord's people. Now notice the words that he uses. He says in verse three, for this we love, or excuse me, verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now notice the circular argument John is making. You will prove you love the children of God when you love God and obey his commandments. And when you love God and obey his commandments, you will love the children of God. They are not able to be separated. You cannot say you love God without loving the people of God, the committed to the family of God, sharing in the life with the siblings of God. This past weekend, I got to visit with some of my nieces and nephews, and I'm sitting there. They're smaller, and they are fighting with each other. My two nephews were wrestling in the floor of the house, and I, being the good uncle that I am, I decided they needed me to get involved, right? And so I grabbed the biggest one, and He's a bigot now. I grabbed the biggest one because they're fighting one another. And I began to fight the biggest one. And lo and behold, I pulled the biggest one off the little one. And then the little one attacked me. I said, wait a minute. And all I could hear was, don't mess with my brother. Right? That's how it works in the family of God. That's how it works in the people of God. We are siblings now. We are woven together. We are a part of the same kingdom. We have the same father. And so what does he say? You want to you know? You want to know for sure. When you draw your last breath that you will have victory, here's how you'll know. You'll confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be born again. And the proof of you being born again will be seen in your affection, not just for God, but for God's people. Brothers and sisters, it's very hard for me to show you the love for God, for he is invisible. But it's not hard for me to show you how much I love God by displaying it to you. This is obedience here. But but notice how he uses the term commandments. He says in verse 2 and verse 3, for this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I find that word funny. Remember the commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the family of God. You know how hard it is to love some of you? You know how hard it is for some of you to love me? Don't amen out loud, okay? It can be tough. It can be difficult. We're we're not always our best. We're not always on the same page. It's not always easy. So when he says it's not burdensome, he doesn't mean it's not challenging. He doesn't mean there won't be difficult along the way. Here's what he means by burdensome. When we come to know the Lord Jesus and we're filled with the Spirit of God and the joy of God, then it's not a drudgery to love my brother or sister. It is obedience and love and joy and consistency. Let's face it. If we didn't have the Spirit of God holding us together, we'd all go our separate ways a million times. But there is this bond of love. So it's not a burden for us to love one another. It is a joy to love one another. Why? Because the Father has made us family. And by loving you, I am assured victory in the end. I'm reminded of the two little boys 
who were walking to school and the bigger boy was carrying the smaller one for the smaller one had infirmities. He was lame. He could not walk. And they passed a stranger on the path and the stranger said, do you carry this boy to school every day? And the the little boy said, yes, every day. And the stranger said, well, that's quite a burden for you to carry. And the little boy quickly said, it's not a burden. It's my brother. This is the family of God. This is what we do. We love one Another, and we find that the truth of this in the text that we love one another. The proof of victory, the proof is you have a love for the Lord and you have a love for the Lord's family. And then let us finish with this last truth, and that's simply this. Let me show you the promise of victory. Let us celebrate what will happen now when we've been born of God, when we confess that Jesus is the Lord, when we find ourselves in the family of God and we're walking in this overcoming, we we find ourselves winning in the game of life, if you will. Look at verse 4. Here is the, the central verse of the text. Here is the central piece of John's argument. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our Faith. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. I'm going to read that again, and then you're going to say amen, all right? Because I don't want you to miss this opportunity, right? For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, how good is it for us to hear that today? How good is it for us to be reminded that this world is not our home? This world, in fact, is what we war against. John uses the word world here. He's not meaning the cosmos or creation. He's not meaning the idea that God loves the world. He's meaning the demonic, fallen, sin-stricken world that bogs us down. And he uses the word overcome. The word overcome here is a battle word. It's a fighting word. It's a, it's a go to war and give all you have word. And he says, when you've given all you have, when you've gone to battle, when you've followed the Lord, when you've loved one another, when you've been born of God, when you've done all that you can do, be reminded of this. You will not lose. Your foot will not slip. God will not let you fall. Why? Because we have victory in Jesus. And so he says in the text in verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. I want you to see something here. Remember how I told you that the the idea of salvation or being born of God was, was a sure thing and an ongoing thing? He uses the same play on words here. Our overcoming the world is a sure thing, but it's also an ongoing thing. Look, look what I mean in verse 4. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. That's, a, that's an ongoing action. Overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. What does he mean here? It means it's ongoing. Because I've been born of God, I now have the Spirit of God in me. I have the family of God I'm woven with. I have the Word of God that leads me. Therefore, the lust and the attractions and the trappings of this world, I can beat them. I can run from them. I can overdo them. I don't have to fall to sin anymore. I don't have to trip to selfishness anymore. I can love the people of God like I'm supposed to. I don't have to give in to pride. I don't have to fall to the promises of this world that never fulfill what they promise. I can, and notice the word victory. It is the idea of expectation. I can wake up on Monday morning knowing that the Lord Jesus is in my heart, his word is in my hand, and his people are surrounding me. And on Monday, yes, even Mondays, I can have victory. I can have victory because of the Lord. It is an ongoing win. But I want you to see how he uses the word in finality. Look what he says. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has, see the past tense? 
has overcome the world. You know why I like that part? Because there are some Mondays that just whoop me. There are some days where the sin traps me. There are some days where the world pulls my eyes down. There are some days where the anger rages at what's going on around me. There are some days where I don't love you like I'm supposed to, and we don't do it like we should. There are some days where this ongoing victory feels like we're getting beat every around the corner every way possible. And so what John does is he reminds us, listen, even as you're walking in this ongoing victory, never forget, brothers and sisters, there is a sure and finished victory around the corner. There is a final victory to come. This is why Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21, for we are citizens of heaven and from it we await a savior who will transform our lowly bodies into bodies like his. This is why he says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go, I am coming again so that you may be where I am also. That's victory. That's overcoming. This is why in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, John said, I turned and saw a great multitude which no man can number from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's chapter 7, excuse me. Chapter 21, he says, there'll be no more weeping and no more death and no more sorrow. Why? Because we will have victory. We will win. Why will we win? Not because we've done anything miraculous. Not because our strength is there. Not because you're the best weightlifter or the smartest person or your bank account is the biggest or you've taken all the right essential oils to keep the flu away. You won't win that way. Took my shot there, didn't I? You will win because you've been born of God and Jesus is our victor. You will win because the grave in Israel is empty and the cross, there is no more death hanging on that cross. You will win because Jesus has won. It is signed, sealed, and delivered in Christ. We have victory. Isn't it interesting that John does not say we will conquer the world. He says we will overcome it. Victory is not mastering this world. Victory is leaving this world behind. And may it fade in shadow as we walk into the eternal glory of the King. May the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of Him, in the light of His face, in the light of His goodness. This is victory in Christ to overcome the world, to outrun sickness. I'm so thankful for this verse. Because I am absolutely tired of cancer. I am absolutely tired of broken homes and broken families and forgotten children. I'm tired of sex trafficking and lying politicians and pundits and spinners. I'm tired of taxes and Blue Cross Blue Shield phone calls. I'm tired of sickness and the flu and viruses and masks and traffic laws. I'm tired of, well, traffic laws are good. I'm tired of all of that. And one day, one day, brothers and sisters, because of the Lord Jesus, we'll leave it all behind. We'll leave it all behind. We have victory in Jesus. But I want you to finish with me by looking at the very end of verse 4. I want you to finish with me because I need to make sure we understand some truth here that, that, that is being maligned in the Christian faith around us. Look with me at verse 4. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes this world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. And notice what he says here. Our faith. Now listen, I want us to be clear about something. You are not saved because of your faith. You are saved because of who your faith is in. You are not saved because somehow you've mustered up some sort of right words or right feelings or miraculous power inside of you. You are saved because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
Adrian Rogers would say simply this, faith in faith is positive thinking. Faith in Jesus is salvation. We want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because there are some days where my faith is fragile, weak, and I'm holding on by thread, Lord. I'm holding on by just inches, Lord. But the great thing is, is no matter how strong or weak, how feeble, how wise my faith may feel, as long as my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, victory is mine. One author put it this way, Joel B., he writes it this way. He says, we do not get faith by having faith in our faith or by lacking faith or by looking to Christ. Looking to Christ is faith. Nor is it perfect faith, great faith, fruitful faith, strong faith that justifies us. If we start qualifying faith, we're destroying the gospel. Then he writes these words. He says, our faith may be weak, immature, timid, even indiscernible at times. But it is real faith is justifying faith. Faith's value is justification. It does not lie in any one degree. It is uniting us with Christ. Now you might say, well, that was a lot of words and I'm confused. Let me give it to you this way. If I were to go out to eat today with with maybe one of you precious senior saints in the church, and we sit down to eat, and and we order ribeye steak, we get a big one, and we get it medium to medium well, because anything past that is sinful, And and then we order a baked potato and a salad, and it's Sunday, so we'll splurge and go sweet tea, extra sugar, and cheesecake. Now, I've preached two services by this time. I've been up since about 5 a.m. I'm pretty hungry. I'm pretty tired. I'm ready to eat. But you're that sweet senior saint that has etiquette. You put your napkin in your lap. You take your fork and your knife and you cut your bites small and you eat with your delicate hand slowly. By the time you finish buttering your roll, I've wolfed down every bit of my food. In fact, I'm starting to eye what's on your plate. I've went through three glasses of tea. I'm working on dessert and somebody bring me a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. Now let us think for just a moment. We ate the same food at different paces, but you got the same vitamins and proteins that I got. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means. I may may gobble up Christ some days and you may be limping to find him, but it doesn't matter because our faith is in Christ. You, you, you may be on cloud nine some days with the Lord and he may be walking with you and you swear you can smell angels. And then there are days where you're not sure he's in the same room. But brothers and sisters, listen to me now. It is not your faith that saves you. It's in whom your faith is in. And Jesus is the reason we are overcome. And what does he say? All of those who are in Christ have been born again. And let me let you in on a wonderful secret of the gospel. Once you are born of God, you can't be unborn of God. There is no lost babies in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of this text this morning because we need it. Oh, we need it. We need our hearts stirred. We need our our eyes lifted. We need to be reminded that you are victorious. And all those who are born again, all those who are in Christ have victory. Oh, God. I pray right now for the brother or sister in here that that they found themselves over the last couple of weeks lost in the turmoil of of, of the news and and elections and politics. And, and Father, we want to be good citizens. We want to be civic. We want to be in the know. But, Lord, we can quickly quickly lose where our faith is, where our trust is. And so I just pray, Lord, you convict us. 
where we start to think that, that somehow you're not in charge. God, I pray for the brother or sister that, that life's beating them down. They feel overwhelmed. They've, they've doctor's visits and financial strain and, and family trouble. And it just seems like the world is winning. Lord, I pray you'd remind them that in Christ they have victory and there is coming a day where they will have eternal victory. Lord, I pray for the one who may be watching or in the room that, that right now under the sound of my voice, deep down in their heart, they're not sure. They have doubt. Brother and sister, I would ask it to you just simply this way. If, if now was the moment, if today was the day, if you were standing face to face with Jesus Christ, would you be, entered, would you be allowed into heaven? It won't be by fate or chance or the roll of the dice. It won't be by morals or effort or good church attendance. It'll be based on simply this. Have you been born of God? Have you come to Jesus? Can you see it? Can you tangibly measure it in the way that God has changed your life? Oh, I pray you would cry out to Jesus. The Apostle Peter finished preaching in the book of Acts at the great sermon of Pentecost. And the people asked, what must we do? And Peter said simply, repent. <coughs> And believe. I offer that same to you this morning. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. Repent of running from God. And believe in the Lord Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe you want to come and pray this morning at this altar. Just celebrating God who is victorious. Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I get lost in thinking somehow you're not in charge. Maybe you want to come and pray because worry and anxiety are filling your heart over something and you need to just confess to the Lord, Lord, I know you give victory. Maybe you want to come and say, Pastor Corey, I, I want to know, I want to know that I know that I've been born again. Whatever the case may be, I, I pray you will honor the Lord and, and listen to his spirit this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this morning?